0: Christ Church, New Malvern, Sunday the 18th of September, 2022, 11 o'clock service, Stephen Kurt speaking on Getting the Most Out of Sermons. Well, sermons, probably, many would say definitely, the most unpopular part of church that has ever existed. That part of the service where we have to listen or at least look as though we're listening to the vicar or some other worthy as they deliver a 20-minute monologue. And sermons, there's no doubt about it, do have a terrible reputation, don't they? They're the thing that caused Abraham Lincoln to once say that if you took all of the people who went to church on a Sunday morning throughout the world and laid them out side by side, they'd be a lot more comfortable. In the eyes of many, both outside and inside the church, sermons are pompous, they are tedious, and they're largely ineffectual. And of course, sadly, that is sometimes true. But when it is true, that's a travesty, isn't it? Because sermons are meant to be one of the principal ways in which God's word is brought to our lives. Not the only way, but one of the main ways. And God's word is meant to be transforming, isn't it? It's meant to be something that takes hold of us and empowers our life in an exciting and life-changing manner. Psalm 119 declares this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word is there, it's saying, to guide us and to give, our, give us direction, particularly through the dark times in our lives. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 from the New Testament says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now that's slightly more forbidding, isn't it? But what it's saying is that God's word can cut through to where it's needed through surprising us, through challenging us, and helping us to see more clearly than we would otherwise those things that are good and from God, and those things that aren't. So the question that we're thinking about in this series, we're in this series called Getting the Most Out of Church, and what we're thinking about this morning is, how can we make this more likely to happen through the sermons that we have here at church? Now, the preacher obviously has a key role in preparing their talk and a few years ago we had a day for all of those of us who preach to think a little bit more about how to approach this task but what can we be doing as congregation members to get the most out of the sermons that we hear each week well the passage that we're going to look at and think about this morning is that second one that we had read to us from Acts chapter 8, the one that Chris read to us earlier. It refers to the other one, of course, but we're going to look at the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Who was Philip? Well, he was one of the early Christian leaders who had to flee from Jerusalem after the murder of another key Christian leader called Stephen. We don't know much about Philip, except that he later had four daughters who, we're told, prophesied. In other words, brought God's word to people significantly. But in this brief story from the Acts of the Apostles, Philip has this encounter with an Ethiopian official. And it includes Philip explaining part of the Bible to him. In other words, essentially preaching to him, delivering a sermon. And by looking further at this story, there are, I believe, a number of things that we can learn about how to get more out of our sermons here at church And the first thing I want to draw attention to, and perhaps the most important thing, is this. God's word is God's work. Now, in one sense, this is obvious. But it's important to remember when we're thinking about how to get the most out of sermons, because otherwise we can think it's all basically down to us. But it's crucial to remember that God's word is God's work. And it's reinforced in this passage So before Philip and the Ethiopian ever meet, God, we're told, is at work. God using Philip to flee from Jerusalem after the murder of Stephen was all part of this. But we're also told right at the start of this passage this, an angel of the Lord, we're told, said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, we're not told how this happened, whether an angel appeared in a very obvious form or whether it was inward conviction that Philip felt God was speaking through an angel instructing him. We're not told about how this happened, but we are told that it did happen. And later on in the passage, we see something similar. We're told the Holy Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stand near it. Again, we don't know whether this is an audible voice or it's an inward conviction, But either way, it's God's Holy Spirit. Now, why are these details in the story? Well, I believe they're there to show that everything dramatic that happened in the early church, including this incident, was God's work. And it's the same now. So yes, we can think about all sorts of practical ways in which we can get the most out of sermons, just as preachers can think of all sorts of practical ways about how to deliver them. But supremely, getting the most out of sermons is about recognising that anyone receiving God's word and being transformed by that word is something that God and God alone can achieve. But if that's true, what's its application to us? There's an application for God there, what's the application to us? Well, its application is that if we want to be getting the most out of sermons, we need to first and foremost be praying that God would work through them. If there's a hymn before the sermon, as there was this morning, and there is whenever it's morning prayer, that's an obvious time when we can be doing that. When we're singing that hymn, we can be praying that in the sermon that's about to take place, that God would speak to us. But obviously it's a good... Uh, idea to try and pray before that point as well to pray just before the sermon's about to be delivered is is fantastic and of course it's better than nothing but it's quite good if we can be praying before that point as well now it's a long time ago now but above that arch there used to be some words and here is a photograph from the Edwardian era at Christ Church. do you recognize the church there it's changed a little bit hasn't it you can see pews rather than chairs you can see gaslights and so on. I think it's decorated for harvest, actually. But do you notice what used to be painted above the arch? Can you see the words there? Above the arch it was written, this house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, many at the time, and we've got some of the um, written uh, material from people at the time and the way they interpreted this, certainly many people at Christchurch, our forebears, interpreted this as a message to everyone coming into this church that they should be quiet as they entered into church and be praying to prepare themselves for what was to come. Now times have changed haven't they? That photograph comes from around about 1906 and of course we've got a very different approach to church nowadays. Not just at our earlier 9.30 service which is shush free but there's an informality isn't there generally. As you came in this morning many of you were chatting and checking up on each other's news and all that sort of thing, that's great. I think that's a fantastic thing as church has become rightly less formal and more friendly. But we've got to be careful not to throw out the baby with the bathwater, haven't we? And it's important that if we're not going to come into church sort of quietly and sit or kneel and pray like people might have done in the past, it's important that we don't forget to pray full stop, isn't it? There needs to be Praying before the service at some point, maybe as we walk, you know, don't walk under a bus as a result of having your eyes closed or anything like that, but it's important to be praying before our services that we would hear and receive God's word and that word would transform us. So that's the first and probably the most important thing, I think, to hear this morning as we think about how to get the most out of sermons. God's word Is God's work and our part is praying that that would happen. But there are other things to say as well and this next point is important too I believe. Getting the most out of sermons, self-motivation is crucial. You see before Philip and this Ethiopian meet the Ethiopian has been to Jerusalem to worship hasn't he? And he's now traveling home. Now non-Jews like this Ethiopian did have a place in the temple to worship God. They were meant to worship God in what was known as the court of the Gentiles. Now, if we look up at the screen, you'll see uh, a plan of the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, there are the central sort of buildings, and either side are those wide open spaces. And if you've got really good eyesight, you might be able to see the labelling of those wide open spaces. Basically, they're described as the court of the Gentiles. And they were there because that was the place where those who were non-Jews were intended to worship God. There was always symbolically a place within the temple for those who weren't part of Israel. There was a space for those people, but there was a problem. The problem was this. Gentiles like the Ethiopian who wanted to worship God were really up against it because that was the place where those who ran the temple set up all those stalls to sell sacrifices and change people's money. And that's why Jesus, in that famous incident in the Gospels, overturned those stalls and said what he did. In fact, it's significant the words Jesus spoke because they're the words that used to be above that arch, but whoever painted those words above that arch left out a crucial part of those words because this is what Jesus said when he did that action in the temple. My house will be called a house of prayer. That was the bit that used to be written up there. But look at the bit they missed out. For all nations. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's what Jesus said. What Jesus was most concerned about, in other words, was that the temple was being made inaccessible rather than just being concerned about irreverence or materialism. He may have been concerned about those things, But the major thing Jesus was concerned about was that the very part of the temple that was designed to be there for those outsiders to Israel, they were showing by their attitude towards it that they didn't really care at all about accessing God to those people. And presumably all of that buying and selling in the court of the Gentiles restarted once Jesus had done his action and of course after his subsequent death. And it would almost certainly have all been there when that Ethiopian went to worship there. But nonetheless, against the odds, he did, didn't he? There were lots of obstacles in the way, not least the ones that God's people were making to people like him being able to worship, but he still made it there. And he did his best to worship God. He was seeking after God. And that continued, this spiritual seeking continues afterwards as this official returns home to Ethiopia. He's sitting in his chariot and what is he doing? He's trying to do a bible study isn't he? He's reading from the book of Isaiah. Now he was really struggling to understand it before Philip came along and explained it but the motivation that he had before that encounter was crucial. It meant that when Philip did speak to the Ethiopian and did open up the scriptures to him, that he was knocking on an open door, because that Ethiopian official was already actively seeking God. And if we want to receive the most out of sermons, we'll show a similar self-motivation. Those of you who have been school teachers, particularly if you've taught pupils studying for public exams, as I did for seven years, You'll know the massive difference it makes when students become self-motivated. When you're teaching exam classes, probably any type of teaching, and you're trying to drag them to a place of learning, it can be really hard work. When they're self-motivated, it makes all the difference. It means they gobble up all the teaching you're trying to provide. They ask questions about it, they interact and so on. The whole thing becomes dynamic. And exactly the same applies to sermons. When people are self-motivated, it makes the most tremendous difference. So the people who get the most out of sermons will normally be those who already at home are getting out their Bibles and reading them. Even if, like the Ethiopian eunuch, that means encountering some bits that don't make much sense. It still means that those people are very open to receiving what God has to say to them. Belonging to a home group is a fantastic thing to do because in a home group, the Bible is read and discussed together, and you hear other people's views on what it means, you hear other people's questions, you have uh, the opportunity to listen to a whole variety of different perspectives. Belonging to a home group is beneficial for loads of reasons, but these reasons include helping us to get way more out of the sermons that we hear on a Sunday. The same very much applies if you've got access to the internet to listening to the various podcasts that exist. There's stacks of great stuff on the internet, there's quite a lot of rubbish as well, but there's some great stuff there. And when people are being self-motivated to listen to talks, it just makes their whole response to sermons far more dynamic. And this includes, actually, the sermon archive that we have on our website. I mentioned earlier that if you didn't hear the talk that I gave about the Christian faith of the late Queen Elizabeth II, you can access it through the website but of course you can listen to numerous sermons we've got all of our sermons going back for well over a decade now on the website and it means that if you hear something that doesn't make much sense or you hear something where you think well that was clearly important but I don't remember all of it you can go back and listen to it again so self-motivation is crucial and that leads on to another point which is equally important to getting the most out of sermons and it's this getting the most out of sermons, being prepared to admit ignorance and ask questions. And that's what we see in this passage, don't we? This Ethiopian was an official of the Queen of Ethiopia. He was pretty much her chancellor of the Exchequer. He was in charge of the treasury. He was clearly a really able and brainy man, but he was prepared to admit to this stranger that he didn't understand the passage from Isaiah that he was reading. And then he was prepared to ask this very specific question about the passage and the identity of the person that it was referring to. And having that sort of humility is pretty essential for getting the most out of sermons. By and large, it's only children who don't find it difficult to admit there are things they don't know or understand. That's a big part of why Jesus said that to enter the kingdom of God, we need to become like a little child. But asking questions about those things that we don't understand is a crucial part of that self-motivation that I was talking about. And it applies to our faith as much as it applies to any learning that we're trying to do. And the answer that the Ethiopian receives to his specific question, as Philip preached to him in the back of that chariot, is also instructive to us as well, because it encourages us to basically focus on always looking for how the Bible points us to Jesus. I think we've got a heading there, Nathan. Always look for how the Bible points us to Jesus. The Bible contains lots of things that are tricky, doesn't it? Stories of strange events and gory battles, complex details about rituals and sacrifices, and so on. And sometimes, like that Ethiopian We're completely unsure of what to make of it. But the key to a Christian reading of the Bible is to, in every case, think through how it's pointing us to Jesus. Jesus, according to the New Testament, came to be the fulfilment of everything that came before him. And that means that all of the stories and all of the details contained within the Bible are one way or another pointing to him as the final revelation of God and the rescuer that he sent to save us. And that's what happens in the story, doesn't it? The Ethiopian official in his chariot was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And he was reading from that part, chapter 53 in our Bibles, the end of chapter 52 and uh, the rest of chapter 53, where Isaiah speaks of a strange, unnamed figure called God's servant, who goes through terrible suffering on behalf of his people. Now, the Ethiopian eunuch isn't sure who the prophet's referring to. And there have been debates on that question ever since, with Jews and Christians very often giving very different answers. But the Christian answer, and the one that Philip presented, is that this servant calling that was originally given to Israel, as Jews rightly believed, was fulfilled in Jesus' coming to be Israel's servant king and to die so that everyone in the world could be forgiven and restored. Now, we don't know the full content of what Philip spoke about. Perhaps as they sat in that chariot chewing over Isaiah, Philip talked about how the subsequent chapters of Isaiah flowed on from what the passage that he was looking at said. So in Isaiah, in uh, chapter 54, that comes after the passage about the suffering servant in 53, In Isaiah 54, it speaks about the renewal of God's covenant, God's relationship with Israel that flowed from what we're told about in chapter 53, the servant's sacrificial death. Then in Isaiah 55, it speaks of God's restoration of creation that flows from the renewal of the covenant and the work of the servant. And then, crucially for the person Philip was talking to, Isaiah 56 talks about As a result of all of this, how those who were previously excluded from belonging to God's people were now welcome into it. And if you read Isaiah chapter 56, it makes explicit mention of those who were eunuchs and those who were foreigners. Previously, for whatever reason, those whose bodies were maimed or disfigured in whatever way couldn't be fully part of God's people but Isaiah 56 spoke of a day when that would change. And not just foreigners, but eunuchs would be able to be fully welcomed into God's people. Both things, of course, that completely applied to that Ethiopian. And a vital part of getting the most out of sermons is constantly to look for how that bit of the Bible that we're looking at, how that leads us and points us to the Jesus who came to rescue and include us. Sometimes passages will be talking about the very things that Jesus came to sweep away. So some of the restrictions that were imposed for whatever reason upon the people of God in the Old Testament, sometimes we need to understand them and get to grips with them to understand what it was that Jesus came to sweep away when he came to bring everyone into his one single family. And we'll get the most out of sermons if we do that. At the centre of Christianity is God sending Jesus to suffer and die for us, for you and for me. And we'll get the most out of sermons when we're actively looking to learn more from the Bible about what that means, about why it was necessary, and all of the amazing things that God intends to flow on from that central truth of him sending us Jesus. And finally, a crucial part of us getting the most out of sermons is this. We should always seek to make a practical response. We don't know, as I say, how long Philip and the Ethiopian sat in that chariot, talking about Isaiah 53, but eventually they came to some water. And realising that God had sent Jesus for him as much as anyone else, the eunuch asked if he could be baptised and that's precisely what happened. Baptism is uh, another word for christening. We had one at the 9.30 service this morning of a little baby girl called Lyra, who comes with her mum each week to the 9.30 service, is normally down in the baby zone there. Sometimes baptism happens to babies, sometimes to children, and sometimes to adults, but its meaning every time is precisely the same. Baptism, christening, christening, is about being joined to Jesus, that's why it's sometimes called christening, being joined to the Christ who came for everyone, but it's also, crucially, about an active and committed response to God. It's a commissioning. And that's why when I do a baptism, Here at Christchurch, particularly if I'm baptising a little child, a little baby or child, I take them down directly into the centre of the church, turn and face that camera, and give a message to that child for as they grow up, to encourage them to remember two things. Number one, the day when God solemnly declared that they were part of his family, and number two, to encourage them to make an active response of faith towards God, the God who found them in Jesus throughout the whole of their life. Hearing God's word is about having open ears and open hearts, but also being committed to making a response. So, getting the most out of sermons. We preachers won't always get it right, and sometimes this is the result. But it shouldn't be, should it? If we remember that receiving God's word is God's work, if we're self-motivated, if we're willing to ask questions about what we don't understand, if we're determined to always look for how the Bible points us to Jesus, and if we're determined to make a practical response to what we hear. God's word is intended to bless and enrich our lives by strengthening the relationship that is brought us into through baptism with God through Jesus Christ. There are lots of things that can help us do that. But listening to sermons and being prepared to act on them is a vital and central part of this and a vital and central part of getting the most out of church. Let's pray for a few moments. Father God, many of us have heard thousands of sermons throughout our life. But we thank you for your word Lord God we thank you that you're a God who communicates and speaks to us speaks to us and we ask as we sometimes pray before sermons that you would open up your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word a lot has changed about church and uh, a lot more informality is now present and we thank you for the blessings of that but would you help us always remember to always remember to pray to you so that you would be able to knock on an open door of our hearts that our hearts will be open to you as we pray in that prayer of preparation at the start of the communion service and we pray lord god that you would motivate us to study for ourselves to ask questions about things we don't understand, to look for how even the most complex and tricky parts of the Bible relate to you sending us Jesus. And we pray that you would help us to seek to act on what we learn. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.